Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. Did you just disappear? I just went to record. This is Charles. Zoom. This is a perfect intro for our voiceover deep dive of an episode today. <laughs> it is faffing around with microphones and interfaces. Exactly. And voiceover actors have to do this all the time. In fact, everyone has to. Everyone has to do this all the time now in a pandemic. Yes, indeed. How are you? I'm doing. I'm hanging in there. How are you? Yes, same. <laughs> just sort of managing to, you know, cope. <laughs> Um, we're definitely including everything we've, we've just said. Uh, hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to Jamie and I figuring out technology after three years of doing this podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, you'd, you'd think we'd be better at this by now, right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it seems fitting for today's voiceover episode. So um, just to give listeners a little bit of an intro, we've spoken about voiceover more and more on this podcast, and we're, we're trying to make it a recurring almost series where every couple of episodes, we, we you know we air weekly every couple of episodes, we want, to t- we want to touch base on voiceover. Jamie, can I put you on the spot and ask you like why that is? We've talked about it before, but like what's the state of voiceover in 2020? What's going on today? What's you as a voice actor extraordinaire, what's, what's your take on the latest? Well, yeah, like you say, we've talked about it before, but it, I mean, it, it is sort of as booming as it has ever been mm-hmm. in some respects because uh, film and TV production is sort of slowly coming back to life a little bit but uh-huh. uh you know in bubbles and with you know extreme sanitation measures and stuff like that but voiceover has carried on since you know it hasn't really stopped in many respects right. of course it's changed a lot of people everyone's now pretty much recording from home mm-hmm. some studios are now up and running um, yes. with very careful uh, safety measures in place of course but people have bodged together home studios in closets under duvets (laughs) (laughs) behind sofas under cushions and uh, are now working from home that way and uh, with some of the various connection services and things like that directors are able to listen in Mm -hmm. in okay quality in brilliant quality it's a real mix of technologies and uh, yeah I mean you know the advertising world is completely up and running and right um, video games are booming. Video games. And you mentioned dubbing for like foreign films and such. Yeah, dubbing, um, particularly in animation and anime dubbing and things like that, That where there's, you know, I think Funimation, which is a studio in Texas. Okay. I think they put out something like 20 episodes a week of various, mm-hmm. you know, anime shows that all require American dubs. I see. English speaking. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, English-speaking audience, yeah, that's right. And um, and they figured out a way. They actually mailed out. I'm writing an article right now, so this is sort of right on the tip for of my tongue. For backstage, <laughs> perfect. Yeah, for backstage, yeah. Um, they actually mailed out kits 
to talent with microphones, iPad, right. software, stands, pop shields, everything. Right. And um, they've rigged up a system where the talent can record themselves and it's all synced up to the, the lip flaps, is what it's called in dubbing. Um, oh, okay. And, yeah, lip flaps for real? Yeah. yeah, no, that's what it's called. You learn something new <laughs> every day. Okay, amazing. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting world right now, and yes. uh, I have to I have to say I'm very feel very privileged to work in voiceover that we haven't been so affected because I know that right of course theatre actors and on screen actors are going through a very hard time right yes. now. Yes, and it is almost like you get, you have a bit of a head start on the on the voiceover biz. Um, yeah. Listeners have heard recently that uh, Christine McKenna Torella, our new backstage casting insider, um, stay tuned to the end of today's episode to hear from her on a little bit about all things backstage voiceover. I have to mention, Jamie, you you heard of our backstage sound stories competition, right? I have, yeah, sounds great. It's so cool, and I'm gonna read a thing here. For listeners who didn't hear from last week's sound stories, challenges you to write, cast, record, edit, and submit a story fully told through sound. And what I'm super excited about today is, we're gonna include this in today's uh, episode article in the description. We now have a now casting, which is our, um, Backstage's kind of recurring feature where we outline some of the casting listings like each week. Um, we have a now casting that is devoted entirely to the submitted sound stories competitors that now need talent for their projects. So it's all coming full circle over on Backstage. Yeah, that's great. I, I'm looking forward to hearing some of the submissions. The deadline for submissions is October 25. And again, listeners, stick around to after the after today's episode to hear from Christine. But um Jamie, I also wanted to ask you today about today's episode because we are trying something a little <laughs> different. Yes. When was the last time you listened to it in the envelope episode from 2017? Um, well, about a couple of hours ago when I was editing. It. <laughs> <laughs> but before okay. that, yeah, it's been quite a while. Same. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was fun to listen back, almost you know, afresh. <laughs> some of these yeah. interviews. I was more fun than I thought it would be. Yeah. <laughs> So episode three of In the Envelope, which aired May 2017, I believe, we are going to, listeners, we're going to excerpt the voiceover bits from that episode featuring Hank Azaria. It's both a long time. In some some ways, this podcast hasn't changed at all. And in others, it's changed a lot. And I think sometimes for the better. As a lot of people have mentioned, April feels like 19 years ago. Exactly. So, you know, 2017 is like a whole other world. Well, and that's the thing. Like, we we kind of thought we've been toying with this idea of, we, Jamie and I have been calling it a Frankenstein episode for a while, mm. where we are, we are re-airing episodes that have already aired to encourage listeners to go back and listen to them in full. But also, it just really lent itself well to these voiceover deep dives. So we're going to hear from Hank Azaria, and then we're going to hear from Pamela Adlon, uh, which was a 2018 interview. And then I think we're going to hear from more recent interview, which was Maya Rudolph. Yeah. All stars in their own right. And in fact, all winners of one of the industry's highest distinctions of VO talent, which is the voiceover performance Emmy. And in fact, mm. Maya Rudolph is the reigning winner in that category. So. Yeah. She wears like a heavy belt with microphones strapped to it or whatever, whatever <laughs> exactly. they give them. But um, first yeah. we're going to get to Hank Azaria. Jamie, is there anything else we should prime listeners on? Well, the Hank Azaria was an early interview when we were experimenting with phone calls. Sound, okay, <laughs> so yes. So it's, it's, it's a phone interview, um, so prepare yourself for that. It's not super high fidelity, but uh, you can hear Hank in, you know, hear his glorious pipes. <laughs> exactly. But not quite in full resolution yes. that you may be used to. 
And in fact, we talk about his show Brockmire, which just aired its fourth and final season. So Brockmire is actually still for your consideration. Yeah, it's sort of cool. Like Hank Azaria is in the era of when we were just starting out and we were using phone calls. Pamela Adlon was in person in the studio, and I believe it was in L.A., yeah. And then now my Rudolph is like a sample of the of the third era, which is COVID remote. <laughs> it's like a little tasting menu of interviews. It, it's, it is. We're going to see how this format works. It's a tasting menu of voiceover craft and career advice. And we couldn't not re-air it to uh, continue with this kind of theme of diving deep into voiceover. So, Jamie, thank you as always for connecting us over the magic of uh, voiceover technology. My pleasure. And for your expertise. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I do. Oh, and when your um, Backstage Expert article comes out, we will we will link to that in a future episode. Sounds Listeners good. can continue to expect these voiceover deep dives, and I'm hoping to book more, more people like Hank and Pamela and Maya. All right. Brilliant. All right. We have an ending somewhere in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we stopped about three times. <laughs> hello, hello. This is Jamie, the producer of the podcast, and I just want to take some time to tell you about the sister podcast to In the Envelope, which is VO School. This is a podcast that I produce and host, and it is devoted entirely to voiceover. So if you're looking to get into the voiceover industry, you should check it out. That's VO School, found on iTunes, Stitcher, all the usual places, and it's hosted by me. Each episode covers a different subject, and we go through the business, the craft, the marketing, the blood, sweat, and tears that is creating a voiceover career. So check us out, the VO School podcast, available now. I grew up really mostly in front of the television. That's where I took in Monty Python, where I took in baseball, where I took in Bugs Bunny, where I took in the Brady Bunch, Johnny Carson. I mean, everything. Imitated it. Found I could mimic stuff at a pretty young age. This was one of the voices I imitated was this, uh, what I call the generic baseball announcer voice in the 70s. (laughs) Really generic announcer voice, not just baseball. Yeah. Not just sports. Um, and uh, always thought it would be a funny, you know, it stuck out to me as a, it's kind of hilarious in its own way. If you put it in the proper context, only took 30, 40 years, but I eventually yes. figured out what context would, would be funny for this guy. Well, and I've heard you say that most, if not all of your voiceover performances are based on this crazy, uncanny ability that you have to imitate the people you, you hear, everyone you hear, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess all vocal work is imitation on some level. And if you're trying to do a faithful French accent or British accent or, you know, Polish accent, you're imitating what you're hearing. Uh, once you get into mimicry, it's into specific, right, folks, like whether it's Matthew McConaughey or, uh, you know, Al Pacino, whoever you're imitating, uh, mimicking. And that's a sort of special skill that you either can do or you can't. You're kind of genetically capable of that. If you have mm-hmm. plastic vocal cords or you don't, to some extent you can develop it, but I think that it's sort of something you're either born able to do or you aren't, which I, I was. And, I, and, and so, yeah, I find that most of my voices on The Simpsons or everywhere are either very good or very bad impressions of people. So I tell young, you know, vocal performers this all the mm-hmm. time, you know, a bad vocal impression it's still a lovely character voice on its own, just because it's not, if you're imitating your uncle Steve, uh-huh. even if it's not a very good impression of him, if I heard it go, your uncle Steve doesn't really sound like that. It might be a very interesting character voice and the general uh, public doesn't care if it sounds a lot like your uncle Steve or not. Right. And you, you can know? create an interesting character using that as, as kind of the base to build on. Exactly. 
your involvement in The Simpsons is always so interesting to me, like how you weren't quite, a, you didn't have a ton of voiceover experience before that gig. And now it's funny you say that there's tons of rejections, even at the highest level, and there's going to be lulls. I mean, you've been on this show since it first started airing. How did you get involved and how did that kind of carve your place in the in Hollywood? Yeah, you know, I mean, I really did win the show business lottery the day that I got that job, although it wasn't that apparent you mm. know, back in that day, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I had done another job for Fox Television. This was back in the days of Roger Rabbit. Everybody was trying to make some kind of combination <laughs> of animation with live action. And Fox did a, a pilot like that where, the, where this dog called Hollywood Dog was animated. <laughs> I did the voice of it. That was a failed pilot that never saw the light of day, but Fox became familiar with me because of that. And there was an open audition for, it was an open call, like you would read in backstage, but it was an audition for the voice of Mo, the bartender. And because the casting director had heard of me from that, I went in and read for it and got the job. But that was, you know, it was a voiceover gig in the early days of Fox. You never knew that any show was going to last, let alone last for 30 years. Right. It wasn't until about a year or two into that, into The Simpsons, that they made me a regular. Uh-huh. And then it wasn't until a few years in the job that I realized, wow, I'm part of not only a steady gig, but kind of a cultural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And then it's just the, the gift that, that kept giving um, <laughs> over the years. Yeah. And I learned a ton, especially from um, from all of them over there, but especially from Dan Castellaneta, who does the voice of Homer and others, mm-hmm. and Harry Shearer, who does Mr. Burns and many others. Those guys were such master craftsmen doing vocal work that, you know, watching them do it for years and their commitment and how, on the one hand, it was very easy for them and they had a very light touch. On the other hand, they were very diligent about how they went about things, you know, not to mention for, you know, a voice guy, which I am, but didn't even know I was, right. it was like a, it's like a lab. It was like every week I was called on to do two, three, four new voices year after year, mm-hmm. you know, and it just, it's like an incredible training ground for a yeah. vocal character actor. I mean, right. So whatever skill I had got really honed, you know, doing that. Which is true of a gig where you, you have, multiple characters to play. You have one gig, but multiple characters. Yeah. And I found that, you know, then having done that for a few years, then studying with Roy London really kind of deepened that, that kind of, that was sort of all about for me being myself, you know, not being a voice or not mm. being funny, uh, but just kind of being myself on stage, which I was very, much more uncomfortable doing than, you know, doing the voice in Chief Wiggum or something. But when I, it was when I started, you know, to, combine those two skills of bringing myself to a role and then also providing uh, an amusing voice for it that I found like, I even found my Simpsons work, my vocal work got funnier, got better. And to bring the conversation full circle, that's really what I feel like I'm getting into with Brockmire. It's like, it's a, it's a funny voice. It's a fun imitation and it's funny just to listen to, but I feel like I, you know, the work I did with Roy and the acting work I've done for 30 years, I get to really, kind of bring all that to bear. It's very satisfying on that level. Absolutely. I mean, the show is is hilarious and you have these really hilarious zingers, but it's also, he is very much a real grounded character and there are some really dark 
uncomfortably dark elements to it. So I hear what you're saying about the you're bringing the personal to it at the same time that you're able to not hide behind a voice, but use a voice to get at that truth. Yeah, or sometimes both, you know, and I was fortunate enough to hook up with a really wonderful young writer named Joel Church Cooper, who mm-hmm. kind of saw more depth and darkness in it than I did even when I created the character. And with a really extraordinary director named Tim Kirkby, who's done a ton of stuff, but is very, very gifted at being sensitive to and aware of and capturing all characters, the kind of the emotional truth and Mm. And and darkness, as you just said, of people while not losing the joke or using or losing the comedy pacing or you know losing the surface of what needs to be there, but he's highly aware of um, the depth of the thing, uh, which really came came through, I think, as well. Well, and so, what is great acting to you? I answer the way my late great actor, he's your Roy London, would answer that. He would say that great actors they are willing on a stage or on camera to share their honest selves, to be really authentically who they are uh, in front of people, which sounds like a simple thing. Mm. But like I said, for me, I was comfortable. I became an actor because I wanted to be other people besides myself. I wanted to imitate you know, others, Woody Allen, Al Pacino, De Niro, Steve Martin. I wanted to I- mimic and imitate. And I, I found I could mimic them. Mm-hmm. rather convincingly. So that's what I wanted to do. Much to my chagrin, I discovered that to be a good actor, let alone be a great actor, you needed to kind of share yourself, honestly, in front of people. And I was very uncomfortable doing that. I had this kind of deep-seated belief that um, not only was I not comfortable doing it, and I was afraid to do it, but I had a belief that it was uninteresting. But, you know, De Niro's interesting. I'm, who am I? You know? <laughs> so, but it wasn't until Roy convinced me that, look, that might be true, but it's all I have, really. That's the only, those are the only colors I can paint with mm-hmm. are, are who I really am. And it was only until I really um, gave into that and was willing to just kind of honestly be myself mm-hmm. in any given role, even if I was sounding like Jim Brockmire or sounding <laughs> like Agador from The Simpsons or like the French Stunter in Monty Python, whatever. <laughs> I had to, you know, Hank had to be who I really was. Had to be the motor of all that, you know, the great, you know, the De Niro's and Streets and Gene Hackman's and Brian Cranston's of the world are willing to do that in every given moment. Pretty great to watch. Hey there, listeners. It's Jack checking in again. This is 2020 Jack. You just heard from Hank Azaria. I encourage you listeners to go back through our archives and listen to episode three of In the Envelope. It featured uh, this Hank Azaria interview in full, but also we paired that with an interview with Elizabeth Moss. This was when The Handmaid's Tale was like brand new. That was also a great interview. And just for those of you who are tuning in for the voiceover advice here, Elizabeth Moss also addressed voiceover. It was in the context of Handmaid's Tale. There's some great stuff in there too. So check it out. Go back and listen to the full episode three, all the way back in 2017. But up next, continuing this tour of old In the Envelope episodes featuring voiceover advice, we have Pamela Adlon, 
who won an Emmy for playing a uh, teenage boy in the animated show King of the Hill, and is, of course, the writer-director, producer-star of Better Things on FX, which just aired its fourth season this year. This is another one. I encourage you to go back to listen to it in full. Fantastic craft and career advice, but what we have excerpted for you here is just her thoughts and her kind of journey through voiceover. So I will let Pamela and 2018 Jack take it away. You know, I got into voiceover when I lived a few streets over in this area. Um, I was on unemployment because I couldn't, I wasn't getting hired. I Uh wasn't even getting, you know, auditions. And I somehow um, was lucky enough to start, uh, somebody heard my voice in something. Right. A man, Paul Doherty at Cunningham, CESD. Um, and he called me in to read some copy. And um, it was like, he was like my, I was like Lana Turner and he schwabs to me. Uh, yeah. And so I came in and I read copy and it was a, um, a campaign for 7-Eleven and I played this boy named Kevin, young Kevin. Um, and I did that uh, campaign for years. Oh, cool. And then I started doing a lot of radio. And I really wanted to get into animation. Right. And um, I remember doing um, an episode. I, I I somehow got an episode of Rugrats. Oh, uh-huh. And I was in the green room with uh, Kath Susie, E.G. Daly, Chris Summer, mm. and Chris Cavanaugh. Rest in peace. Yes. And I looked at all of them, and there was like a phone in there. This is pre-cell phones. And I thought, oh, my God, they do this. Right. They this do first, this. Yeah, I wanted this. to do it so cool, badly. Cool. So then I started, you know, booking more and more. Mm. Um, and then I couldn't get booked in radio. Like there was some oh. delineation. Like gotcha. You could. You're good for radio ads campaigns, mm. and you don't really work do like in voice animation. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then that Rugrats moment that was kind of like you noticed. This is what I want to do. Yeah. And I went to Klasky Chupo and I was like, I want to hang out here. But there was no formal training. There was no like voiceover. It was very much learning on the job. That's right. Yeah. For for me, I, I feel that if if anyone's listening to this and, and wants any kind of pro tips, the, the which is so valuable to me, anything that's practical, um, <clears throat> if you have confidence, mm-hmm. it gets you. I know that's a boring old adage, oh, but no. yeah. it's true. So, like, literally, you could be like, I could be in a booth with John DiMaggio, Billy West, yes. Jeff Bennett, Kevin Michael Richardson. Um, and if you're not completely, you know, laying yourself bare and trying everything and not being self conscious, yeah. you're going to do as well as everybody. Mm. And mm. I feel that with uh, voiceover, I've always said this, it's not really, I mean, my voice is what got me in the door. Right. But it's really about my ear. Ah, cool. You know, which is um, when you can hear something and you you have a fine-tuned sense, mm. I think that voiceover artists have the best ear. Yeah, they're the best listeners. Yes. Yeah. When well, you were doing the cupping your cupping your ear thing. That's to right. To hear your own voice. Yes, that's the Gary of, Owens. Uh-huh. You cup your ear. 
I can't stand the sound of my own voice, and I'm a podcast host. I love your voice. Oh, gosh, Pamela Adlon. Um, what was the deal with you playing, I guess it's just because of the nature of your voice, you played a lot of boys. Yes. And you even, there's a story about an audition where you revealed yourself to be a girl, like, well into the audition or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, please, that old saw. That was, <laughs> was me that in the 80s. a kid, or? Yeah, you know, it's, it. I did a ton of gender bendy kind of stuff. Very punk rock. Yeah, it was very, um, you know, it was, it was, it was in the early eighties and my hair was shorn off. Cool. Yeah. And I was so androgynous. It was the second time I had a short haircut. First time was when I was 10 Mm. and, um, I was able to do like a, a lot of stuff. So like I, I was on night court. And mm. the character was that bull, Richard Mall, the big bailiff mm. in the show. He wanted to foster a kid, and um, I was pretending to be a boy the whole episode. Right. And then Selma Diamond, rest in peace, finds me in the bathroom, and um, and then at the end, there's a big reveal. Right. And I'm cool. wearing a dress, and John Larroquette says, "What a boy in a dress, big deal, you know." <laughs> so, and then I did, you know, Red Fox show. I did, um, uh, I did this uh, pl- this musical called Backstreet, um, mm. and you know, uh, I did this movie called Bad Manners, and in the mm. credits they had to write "Girl Stevie." So oh, people would know. Yeah. And then um, on the Jeffersons, I robbed uh-huh. the dry cleaners. Ah. And, you know, nobody. And I was Tony. And so they had to, like, say, Whoa. girl, you know, I mean, who cares? <laughs> totally. Totally. And but it seems like voiceover, that's where gender swapping is happening. I, di- I never realized that I had transitioned from transitioned from <laughs> being an on camera you know, kind of gender morphed person to doing all the animation. Mm. My voice sits in a a naturally like male pocket. Yeah. Like in between. So, you know, and then there's this thing that, you know, if you, if you cast like a real 12 year old boy or 11 year old Mm. boy or 13 year old boy, their voice is going to change. Definitely. Yes. So, um, so it's smarter to invest in you for, for, um, yeah. Whatchamacallit. Yeah, because my balls aren't dropping. They're just <laughs> remaining yes. in my throat. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and King of the Hill, you've said it really changed the, changed your career. Yeah, that was... It really launched your career, I guess. That It was, you know, there's, there's a few places that I can see are like the posts. The of, junctures. Yeah. 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 What should an actor who's new to voiceover know about a voiceover audition, especially versus a more typical audition? Um, d- d- just don't marry yourself to the idea of what you're gonna d- do mm. because they will change it in a heartbeat the second mm. you get into a room if you're auditioning in a studio or um, if you're sending in an audition like uh, by phone or mm-hmm. an mp3 or whatever or you have your own home studio or you're at somebody else's give to takes give two different takes oh cool you know and uh let them you know you know pitch your voice up or put some take the gravel out Mm. or those are the kind of notes they give of like sure try it more like this and when and when you're doing voice over if if it's animation Mm. 
Mm. You got to keep the pace going mm, okay. and keep the color in your voice, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and it, you know, my thing is natural, 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 natural. Mm. But um, I have a tendency to, to speak really slowly. And, you know, mm. you got to keep the pace going. Right. Because you're thinking about having your eyes shut. Shut your eyes. Listen to yourself. These are great tips. Oh, my gosh. Cool. And I don't know anything about voice. I've never done voiceover <laughs> acting or anything. Um, what other advice do you have for those just starting out? Take classes. Mm. Take a class. Mm-hmm. If, you, if in terms of voiceover, sign yourself up for a class that leaves you with a demo at the end. Mm-hmm. All of those classes are fantastic. Okay, cool. There's a you can sign up for an ad class, like a, doing you know radio, right? Or animation, you know, vet the people. Mm. Um, you know, if if you're going to invest your money in a class, um, you know, do the research. Mm. Go on Yelp. Mm. Um, you know, there and and. Uh, a really good uh, idea is to try to find a working animation director or actor who's teaching. So I think gotcha. like my friend D. Bradley Baker has uh, a website um, and he gives pro tips and hmm. uh, Andrea Romano teaches classes, Ginny McSwain, Charlie Adler. Um, <clears throat> They're working artists. These are working professionals, yeah. directors, actors. They're keeping abreast of the latest trends right. and technologies and all yeah. of that. Yeah. It's a, it's the kind of world that I think a lot of actors are under the impression that it's a, almost a quick fix. Like, oh, I can just record an audiobook. Oh, and just become a voiceover star. I'm, I'm wondering if there are any other, like, preconceptions or cliches about the voiceover industry that well should it's, be corrected. you know it's it's the greatest job if you can get it mm-hmm. um but it's difficult sometimes if you're doing like a toy or a game it's a repetitive oh, wow. and you're you're, <laughs> you're gonna be in there for four hours yeah. solid wow you know toys and games are uh, take it out of you and don't start a voice that you can't sustain for four hours. That's going to tickle your throat or do something weird. That's excellent advice. You have yeah. to take care of your voice, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, hot water, lemon, honey. Mm-hmm. All the, all the yeah. remedies. The grandma. They work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On our third and final stop of this tour through old throwback episodes of In the Envelope, we are going to take it to a much more recent addition to the archives of In the Envelope. Maya Rudolph joined us recently after receiving her three Emmy nominations for the year 2020 for her work in television. She has since won two of those three Emmys, one for Saturday Night Live and one for Big Mouth which is the Netflix show where she plays the hormone monstrous Connie and had great things to say about that in this interview. Let's just hear a quick snippet of her thoughts on voiceover before we get to our segment with backstage casting insider Christine McKenna-Torella. So here is that snippet with Maya. I encourage you to go back and listen to that interview in full. And congrats to her on her Emmy Awards. And in terms of creating characters, I have to ask about voiceover as well. You're... First of all, the judge on The Good Place, it's another Emmy-nominated performance in the same category. It's my favorite part about The Good Place. But um, can I ask about Big Mouth? Because that is such a voice. I think of that as such a, like, that 
correct me if I'm wrong, like took a lot of work to construct and a lot of work to like get into a character. I don't even know. I don't remember. <laughs> you know, it's funny because that, that character was not what I was hired to play on Big Math. I was oh, hired okay. to play Nick's mom, Diane, and Fred Armisen and I play his parents, Elliot and Diane. And mm-hmm. I think it was like the second or third episode, I don't remember. And they said that Nick played a hormone monster and they needed me to play Jesse's female hormone monstrous. Mm-hmm. And it was so funny. And um, it's always really hard to come up with a new voice because you don't really know okay. if you're going to find something that works or if you like it or mm-hmm. if they like it. And we that did try to figure it out together for a while there. And then mm-hmm. we kind of found her game pretty quickly that she really eats up, you know, bees and bubbles, yes. you know, like that and the, the and and syllables and and okay. that her tone of voice is a bit roller coastery which is yes fitting for her hormone roller coaster ride um and and then it just became this thing that like was making us all so happy i didn't realize that i was creating a new character but you know connie got a lot of love and so they kept right. bringing her back um yeah. It's the first, I think it's the first character I've ever created that people get a tattoo of now. I, I've never. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> you see your animated character on people's bodies. Yeah, they're <laughs> poor parents. And I love this, what you said about it's, is it a game? Especially, is that voiceover? Is that acting in general? Like the, what is the game of the character, I guess? The game in terms of like what I'm, what I'm after or like you said, the game of her voice was the bees and the enunciation. Oh, the- I see what you're saying. Yeah, I think for her, it's she's got a very melodic voice for sure. Yeah. Um, I think the yeah. elements of her being a monster and her being hormonal. Um, <laughs> I was trying to like to create this game of like um, highs and lows as well as um, big. She's big and hairy. Cool. You know, she's yeah. a big hairy lady, and um, and also you know, very like sexual, um, and unapologetically big and hairy. Mm. Um, you know, she likes the smell of her own stink, uh, yes. kind of lady. So that requires a much bigger voice than my own. Um, okay. Luckily, I have a nice and low voice. If I try to to make a make a voice, so I was really kind of mm. trying to massage massage that out of her um and she's like one of the most fun characters oh, yeah. i've ever gotten to do and that really speaks a lot to the joy of of um doing voiceover is in animation is that you can really be anything um mm. and mm. i love i love that there's a place to perform where you are given that freedom you know, not that room to really, you know, go outside of your own physicality. Um, totally. To create yeah. something. Like voiceover is still a place where you can do that elevating to like, like Connie is a, what you were saying earlier about the, the female, female character yeah. who's bigger than, she is oh, a yeah. diva. I guess. You yeah. could be, I can't remember her name, but there's a drag queen that does Connie. That's amazing. Oh, uh-huh. Amazing. And then it started, yeah. like, people started remixing Connie saying bubble bath. and um, Yes, bubble bath. <laughs> um, yeah, it's pretty, it's it's my dream. 
it's your dream. I love that you're a fan of drag. It really, it like something clicked. It's like, it makes sense that. It does make sense, that. right? It does. And it's sort of yeah. like, I think so many actors, you know, when you talk about it really will all admit to this imposter syndrome that we all kind of feel like we don't oh, really wow. belong. Yeah. We don't know what we're doing. We don't fit in. We're not good enough and blah, 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 blah. And, um, I think that definitely is sort of like an Achilles heel for me is this sort of idea of femininity. And I think mm. one of the, one of the amazing things that I discovered about my own strength is that I'm whether mm. without being aware of it, I created something stronger out of what I think was probably um, what I thought, what I saw as a deficiency uh, oh. or just felt really. And created something that's almost like a kind of like a superhero you know yeah and I love that and I love you know it speaks a lot to like our own personal um ability to survive and to protect ourselves um and totally yeah get this life you know in a way where we can feel stronger yeah that's really beautiful it's 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 helpful to um to think of acting in that way as as somewhere you, that you can explore your vulnerability and protect yourself. Yeah, yeah. I like to hide. <laughs> like to hide. That's wonderful, yeah. Hi, I'm Maya. I like to hide. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time to hear from Christine McKenna-Torella, our backstage casting insider. I will let her take it away. Hi guys, Christine McKenna Torelli here. I'm inspired by this week's topic of voiceover. It's so topical, first of all, we've got so many casting calls on the site. And secondly, well, I've got a confession to make. <laughs> I still haven't been able to listen to myself on this podcast yet. And In the Envelope is one of my favorite podcasts, so it's quite hard not to listen. <laughs> I can make excuses. I can say, oh, you know, it's because I'm terribly busy and I know what I've said. But in reality, it's because I'm a new voiceover artist and I'm feeling a little bit vulnerable about whether or not I sound good, whether or not I've I've said the right things um, and whether or not it, it's, it's a performance that I am proud to share, right? I'm cringing just thinking about it. Putting my casting director hat back on, I have to give myself the same advice that I give to every artist that I work with. And it's that we have to do a digital audit of ourselves. May that be audio reels or video reels, whatever we're sharing with the universe, whatever we're putting up as the material that we are auditioning with, we have to be proud of it. We've got to know that it's it's the standard at which we want to work at. And so I'm inspired to go back and make sure that I really listen and help myself learn and get better. It's the only way to grow as an artist. This week with voiceovers, I've decided to highlight some of the amazing editorial and video content that we already have on the subject. So if you're a complete novice like me to voiceover, or you're voiceover curious, visit our extensive voiceover guide. It has topics from the type of material that you're going to cover, the type of vocabulary that's used for voiceover, which is very different to an in-person audition, what type of equipment you might need to buy, 
it's a multiple page article that we update all the time. So it truly is a, a comprehensive guide to all things voiceover. Secondly, head over to our YouTube where our industry expert, Lori Burke, has a series on voiceovers. Just to um, highlight a few of those, how to get into voiceover is one of the topics. What makes a standout voiceover reel? I feel like I get that question all the time and Lori answers it so beautifully. And then how to record the best sounding voiceover from home, which is so incredibly relevant right now. Now for the good news. Last month, we saw a record-breaking amount of voiceover casting calls. This is partly to do with the amount of work-from-home opportunities, but it's also to do with the fact that we've listened to our clients and our actors' feedback, and we've really built out the voiceover features. So if you haven't visited Backstage.com recently for voiceover as an actor, I just want to remind you that included in your subscription, you can have alternate profiles. So you can have IE, an actor profile, and a separate voiceover profile so that that can be your landing page for all projects of voiceover. If you're a creator on this site, we've recently added the ability to ask for voiceover material within the initial application as part of a pre-screen for your audition. And coming very soon, I'm really excited to announce this, you're going to have the ability to request and receive recorded assets and pay talent directly on the backstage platform. What can you imagine? If you've been in casting at all, you know how helpful it is to be able to have one place to go where you can book the talent, ask for the assets from the talent, and give them their money. Ding, ding, ding. Okay, enough enough of my, my geeking out about that as a, as a casting professional. Um, okay, so if you are a creator and you're interested in hearing more information about that, we have the fabulous Sonia Smith, who is our voiceover casting specialist, and she can be reached at outreach at backstage.com. All right, and to our amazing voiceover casting calls, I've kept to the theme. So these are work from home, work from anywhere opportunity nationwide calls. We have a voiceover for a fitness spec commercial. Claro Media is looking for a middle-aged actor for a health promotional video. It is a 90% voiceover, 10% on screen, all recorded from home project. And it is a $1,000 pay for just a few hours work. And then just this morning, uh, a project came on the site that I wanted to share with you. It is the 2021 C Spire campaign. The wireless company is looking for a new voice for their 2021 season. So take a look at both of those. And lastly, whether you're a creator or a voiceover actor, check out sound stories on backstage. The competition's still ongoing. I mentioned it last week on the podcast. We have incredible jurors, incredible prizes, and we've had some really cool and interesting projects that have already posted on this site. So whether you're an actor or a creator, take a look. As always, I'm going to put everything that I mentioned in the show notes. And with that, have a beautiful week.
In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Grouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.